Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Tuesday and welcome to our little soiree we call the Bill Shank Show. I'm Bill Shanks. We are talking sports and as always, we have a lot to talk about. Tomorrow, don't forget, I'm going to be in Savannah, GA. Love going to Savannah. And I haven't been there in about uh, five and a half weeks. But we'll be there tomorrow at Coach's Corner. Cannot wait. Looking forward to it. Always great place to be. I love Coach's Corner. I tell you, I couldn't have had a better situation for a home away from home and a home for us in Savannah within at Coach's Corner. John's a great guy. He's done an unbelievable job for 33 years. We always say if you've had a business for 33 years or just name the place, how many people have we got on the air that have been on the air for a long time, and that means they know what they're doing, right? If you have a business like that, you're 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 doing something right. And the uh, people of Savannah and, and of course, Oh, just the whole area love Coach's Corner, and they love to go there to watch games, and uh, I love to go there to do my show. So can't wait. Looking forward to it. And uh, last time we were there, Nick Saban quit. So what's going to happen tomorrow? Hmm. No telling. Can't wait for that, though. And if you're in the Savannah area, come by and say hello. Come by, and uh, heck, we'll put you on the radio. No question about that. We'll uh, let you talk sports with us. All right, we got... Um, we got some baseball to talk about. I tell you, I, I kept on saying to myself today as I was listening to the Braves game, it's February 27th, calm down. It's February 27th, calm down. I mean, repeatedly, I kept on saying, it's February 27th, calm down. But yet today in Bradenton, Florida, at a stadium that is 100 years old. Braves actually trained there for a couple of times, as a matter of fact, back in the day, even before I was born. Chris Sale pitched his first game as an Atlanta Brave in any type of game situation. And he did mighty well. How about two innings, no hits, no runs, no walks, four strikeouts four strikeouts and and I I want to see the the uh, velocity of these and here's what it has on MLB network 90 I'm just gonna go batter by batter to be honest with you uh 94 mile an hour four seam fastball 95.2 miles per hour sinker then an 80 mile per hour slider and then three straight sliders that were in the upper 70s. And that was a strikeout of O'Neill Cruz. Brian Reynolds flew out. That was a 95-mile-an-hour forcing fastball, 95.9-mile-per-hour forcing fastball, four pitches, including a changeup and a slider. And then Kebron Haynes, Hayes, Charlie's son, had a 94-mile-an-hour fastball, 94.5-mile-an-hour fastball slider and changeup. All right, so then in the bottom half of the second inning, he was even better. Even better. Yasmani Grandal, catcher, 
97.1 mile an hour four seam fastball struck out Yasmani Grandal. He also swung and missed a 94.8 mile an hour four seam fastball and a call strike on a 93.6 mile an hour four seam fastball. Connor Joe, former Braves farmhand, foul tipped and struck out on three pitches. The last pitch was a 96 mile an hour four seam fastball. And then Eduardo Olivares, um, just sliders. So what was the what was the best fastball? Was it ninety? I think it was one that I said it was more ninety six, wasn't there? Ninety seven point one. So according to the MLB.com stat cast or whatever, Chris Sell hit between ninety four and ninety seven today in the game against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Did not allow anything. And I, I listened to the second inning with Ben Ingram and Joe Simpson, and they were raving about the way that he looked. I mean, raving. They were like, oh, my gosh. That looks like Chris Sale of the White Sox right there. And again, let me repeat, it's February 27th. It's February 27th. It's February 27th. I didn't really care what the results were. I just wanted to see the fastball looking good and and – to know that he went out there and, and according to Ben and Joe, who are our representatives calling the game there, all we can go by is, is that. And, and they were just raving about how good he looked. That's unbelievable. That's awesome. Owen Murphy came in, young 20-year-old pitcher. He came in and he was one strike away from getting out of a mess and striking out the side, but instead he gave up a grand slam to give up four runs. And the uh, the Braves are trailing the Pirates. It doesn't matter, of course. The best thing is that Chris Sell had two scoreless innings. The Diori Hernandez has come in and gave up only one hit, one walk, no runs in an inning. He's in the bullpen competition. That's about it. The other pitchers are AAA guys right now. But to see Chris Sell's line, uh, and Ben Ingram, I'm going to steal this from him. He said this on the broadcast. He said, you know, I don't, I, I, they, if the Braves lose 10 to 4, I don't think it matters considering what we saw in the first two innings. And Joe Simpson agreed with him, and I, I, I think he's 100% right. I mean, look, I February 27th, Bill, February 27th, February 27th. We got 30 days until opening day, 30 days, and probably five weeks until Chris Sale's first appearance. He may not start until that game against the White Sox. I wouldn't be surprised, would you? Of course, the Braves open up against Philadelphia, and then they go to Chicago to face the White Sox. And I would not be surprised if old Brian Snicker – held Chris Sale to uh, face his old team, especially since the White Sox aren't very good. But if Chris Sale is 90% of what he has been in the past, eight, even let's go down to 80%. 80%. We're talking about an unbelievable addition to the Atlanta Braves. From 2012 through 2018, a seven-year stretch, Chris Sale had an average record, average record of 14 and eight. Overall, he was 99 and 59, 40 games over 500 in that seven game stretch. And his ERA over 208 games and 207 starts was 2.91. Was he durable? Oh, yeah, he was durable. Here are the number of games started for Chris Sale starting in 2012. 
29, 30, 26, 31, 32, 32, and 27. And then even in 2019, he had 25 games started for Boston, although his ERA spiked up to 4.40, but his numbers were unbelievable. His numbers are still great except for the earned run average. He just gave up too many too many runs. He didn't give up a whole lot of hits, didn't walk anybody, and he struck out 218. But, uh, I mean, really, let, let's add him in here that season. Eight years, a stretch of eight years, Chris Sale was 105 and 70, 3.05 ERA, 1,245 hits in 1,535 innings with 1,896 strikeouts. That is 11.1 strikeouts per nine innings. And by the way, he walked two batters per nine innings. If Chris Sale is 80 to 85% of what I just described to you he was between through 2012 and 2019, the Braves are going to win the World Series in May. Maybe June. And I'm kidding, of course. Because that kind of pitcher is just unbelievable addition to this rotation. You've got Max Fried, who has a career career ERA just over three, and that's incredible in itself. Not many people in baseball can say that they've got an ERA of, uh, let's see, 3.03. Yeah, 3.03. Then you've got Spencer Strider, who is a strikeout machine, who has struck out 13.6 batters per nine innings in his 65 games in the big league so far. You've got Charlie Morton, who at now 40 years old has had a great career, 130 wins, an ERA of four overall over 16 seasons in the big leagues. And then Chris Sale, February 27th, February 27th, February 27th. So, I, you know, that's why this is important. The Braves are going to score runs. There's no debate about that. There's no, oh, God, how could they go from what they were last year to just an, a horrible offense? Well, I mean, they did it in October, but I don't think over the course of six months they're going to do it in the regular season. But if this starting rotation is, is what it could be, meaning that if Freed, Strider, Morton, and Sell pitch like they've pitched in the past, then I, I don't I don't know how the Braves aren't going to do just unbelievable things this year. And the bullpen is going to be strong. We know that. The the fifth starters competition is going to be a lot of fun. But you know, we might we may not give a fly and flipper about the fifth starter spot if the first top four starters are this good. February twenty seventh, Bill, February twenty seventh, February twenty seventh. But it's exciting. You know, the Braves went after Aaron Nola in free agency. He signed back with the Phillies. Phillies teammates found out he was getting ready to go to Atlanta, and they stepped in and made a difference. Phillies got him back, and that was a big get for them, no question about it. Braves wanted that kind of pitcher to add to the mix of Spencer Strider, Max Fried, and Charlie Morton. And after they didn't get Aaron Nola, I'd love to know the other options they had we can assume that Dylan Cease was one of them we wonder if they knocked on the door of any other free agent Jordan Montgomery or a Blake Snell but they had been in contact with Boston for part of last year even about Chris Sale and thought 
hmm. What if he pitched in Atlanta Braves uniform? And I, I, I just can't imagine how good this trade's going to look. I, I don't give a damn what Vaughn Grissom does. To be honest with you, God bless him. I, mean, I want him to do well. I'm not, I'm not making any comment about Vaughn Grissom that's negative. But what Vaughn Grissom, he could go on to be a great player for Boston. Doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He was used as an excess piece that we didn't need on this team. He had no role on this team. He was not going to platoon in left field. That was bullcrap. Hate to tell you, but that that just wasn't going to happen. They 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 got Jared Kelnick with the idea of letting him play. So Vaughn Grissom didn't have a spot on this team. You could say, well, we could have kept him around and let him replace Marcel Azuna next year. Well, if Marcel Azuna does what he did last year, they're not going to let him go for next year. They're going to bring him back. So you took an excess piece and got a starting pitcher. Let's say at worst he's a number four. And if you think Chris, I think Chris Sale's going to be in the all-star game. Now, Bryce Elder was last year, and of course he ran out of gas in October. We don't want that to happen to Chris Sale. But if Chris Sale is healthy, I don't think he's going to run out of gas. Sure, he hasn't had a, 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 a season with a lot of start. I mean, he had 20 last year. And... You know, then you had to go back to 2019 before he had Tommy John and he had 25 starts. But again, before that, from uh, 2012 through 2019, he averaged 29 starts. So he was pretty durable then. And then Tommy John happened and then he fell off a bike and broke his wrist. And then he had a comebacker mess his finger up. I mean, it's not like he was doing all these things on purpose or they had a lingering thing that just kept on popping up like Mike Hampton. He hasn't. But if you want to go look at what uh, I've, I've said this 20 times since December the 30th, go to YouTube, youtube.com and pull up Chris sale 2023 and call me up and tell me if you don't think that looked good because he looked outstanding. He looked great. And that that's why I, I, I can't help getting excited about this. February 27th, Bill, February 27th. But anyway, it, it's, uh, it is February 27th, and it is a long way until October. It's a long way until opening day. But this guy's been a big-shot pitcher. I mean, he finished in those seven years I mentioned. He, he was an all-star every year. And here's the unbelievable thing, if you want to look at it. In, in the seven years that we, we talked about, from 2012 through 2018, when Chris Sale had a combined ERA of 2.91, he was an all-star in every year, and he finished the Cy Young voting in the top six each of the seven seasons. So for seven straight seasons, he didn't win. He finished second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. But every year for seven seasons, he was in the top six in Cy Young award. That, I mean, that, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive right there. I mean, it would be more impressive if he had won, but still. I mean, he, he had those numbers for that period of time because he had an ERA of under three, 2.91. So, February 27th, February 27th, February 27th. But it's fun to think about. It is. Because I, I, I just don't think that we can fathom of how good this team may be if the starting pitching is one of the best rotations in the game. And remember, last year it wasn't, right? Last year it, it held off because Max was out, Kyle Wright was out. You had 36 wins from 2022 that was missing because 
of the injuries to Kyle Wright and to and to um, Max Freed. So they had to kind of reshape that rotation with Bryce Elder, and that was a that was a problem. And um, you know, the addition of Chris Sale was something I think Alex and Thompson thought could really make a difference, and I think the early signs are extremely promising. So again, it's February twenty seventh, Bill. February twenty seventh, but this is the kind of stuff that you can get you excited in spring training. Now he may have five more appearances in spring training. He may not be this good, and it was only two innings. It was only 25 pitches. But to have this kind of start in your new uniform is going to get the fan base excited. And what gets me excited is writing out the rotation. Whoever's at five, I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. When I write out that rotation, and it's Max Fried, Spencer Strider, Charlie Morton, and Chris Sale, that's unbelievable to me. I mean, I, I just think that that is incredible. And you could say, well, they got to stay healthy, Bill. Well, tell me a rotation that doesn't have to stay healthy, right? I mean, you could say about all of them, every single one of them. So, um, good start for Chris Sale, and let's hope it'll continue. Next, we'll talk about the Falcons, who have made a move today to help their salary cap situation. Also, Terry Fontenot and Raheem Morris have spoken out loud. And then we'll talk about the Hawks, who play John Collins and the Utah Jazz later tonight. I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you very much for joining us. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. Let's talk football now. We're getting ready for the NFL Combine in Indianapolis. And the Falcons' two points of contact in Indianapolis. The NFL scouting, scouting Combine. Head coach Raheem Morris and general manager Terry Fontenot were able to face the media a little bit. Of course, the number one topic for the Falcons right now is their quarterback situation. Raheem Morris said to D. Orlando Ledbetter, we have two players under contract. I have so much respect for our fans that I won't get myself in trouble or us in trouble talking about any particular person. But it's really exciting with the quarterback group that's out there that we have the ability to acquire. That is what our fan base, that's what makes our front office, what makes our coaches all excited to be able to talk in our rooms about those people. Morris then admitted, if we had better quarterback play last year in Atlanta, I might not be standing here. Terry Fontenot was asked about some of the reports that the Falcons were focused on trading up in the draft from number eight to number one, two, or three. Fontenot said, we're keeping all of the options open. We can trade up, we can trade back, we can stay at eight. Those reports come out, and I don't actually see all the reports when they come out. You never know where they are coming from. A lot of those things are not accurate, and they create narratives. But look, we are wide open. Fontenot also said that he plans to interview all the quarterback prospects at the Combine, and he said it is a really good group. It's a strong draft overall. The quarterback position is strong. You have some different types, guys that do it different ways. But it's a really good group, so it's very exciting. We'll be talking to our those guys over the next couple of days. And Mars said uh, as well, um, it's time after a month on the job now for him to start to implement a few things, go out there and find who's going to be the trigger man for us, put ourselves in position to win. I'm not afraid to say that we have the ability and we're capable of going out there and winning next year. 
If we do some of the right things, the right moves, we can do that. That's not an arrogance. That's not a cockiness. That's more of a credit to the people that were in the building with me. Some of the people that are not there now and what they've been able to do. The, um, I guess, let's see, yeah, Morris was asked, asked specifically about a couple of names and said he won't bring up names. He was asked actually about Baker Mayfield, who we've brought up on this show. He said, when you are going through the process, you have everything open. We've got so many avenues because we have free agent money. We have the ability to trade, whether it be trading for a player on another team or trading up or back in the draft. It really is about having the different scenarios that you want to have when you talk about the quarterback position. You've got option A, you've got option B, you've got option C, you've got option D. And, of course, uh, there are several former quarterbacks on this staff. Zach Robinson was a quarterback in the uh, at Oklahoma City. He also had a little spell in the NFL. T.J. Yates, of course, was an NFL player. He's the quarterback's coach now, which he should have been. Last year he was the wide receiver's coach, which didn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Ken Zambezi is the son of Ernie Zambezi who is one of, was one of Don Coriel's trusted lieutenants back in the day at San Diego. So you've got that. You've got D.J. Williams, the son of quarterback Doug Williams. And um, he, of course, was a, a big deal. Chandler Whitmer played at Connecticut, worked with Fields, Justin Fields, actually, at Ohio State. That's a passing game specialist. So there's a lot of things that uh, are interesting about what's going on now. But um, that, that was just some of the comments that Raheem Morris and Terry Fontenot said. Of course, it's going to be a lot of light on the NFL for the next couple of days with the with the combine going on and to be able to see, well, not Caleb Williams and Drake May and Jaden Daniels. They're not going to be there, but you can see all the rest of them. You can see Michael Penix. You can see Bo Nix. You can see um, the others that are going to be there throughout the next couple of days, with the exception of those top three, really. So... I, th I think this is this is the first step. You've got the combine. We're only about two weeks away from NFL free agency. Starts on the thirteenth, so we're we're not too far away from NFL free agency. And 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 then of course NFL free agency is a fast moving. I hope it starts at four. It's always a lot of fun when it starts at four o'clock because we just sit here and watch Twitter and watch who signs where. Sometimes it's a surprise. Sometimes it's not, but. I love it when we see the Falcons have some cap room, and they do. They have cap room. They made a move today, according to Adam Schefter, that freed up $6.5 million in their cap space as they released Jonu Smith, the tight end that Arthur Smith wanted for his team and who played well for Atlanta. I mean, he really did. And and I, I know we've talked a lot about Kyle Pitts and whether or not he's going to be a force on this team or not. Moving down the road, Kyle Pitts had an okay season this year. It wasn't like he was awful by any means. I mean, he had 667 yards. Johnny Smith seemed like a, a more favorite option for the Falcons, um, or as favorite almost as, as Kyle Pitts. He was targeted 70 times, and he caught 50 passes for 582 yards and three touchdowns. And... The Falcons, according to Schefter, are releasing Jonu Smith today, which is not a really big surprise. We're going to see some more. We're going to see some more moves off that roster. And and obviously, uh, the, the salary cap's going up. And I, I don't know. I, I know at one point 
the Falcons were looking at about $30 million before the potential to add more to that with, with cap casualties or, or you know, by releasing players like what they did today with Jonu Smith. And um, uh, let, me, let me see if the pro football talk here has what their situation is. Uh, as for, nope, it doesn't. But, I, I mean, I think they're going to be approaching $50 million in cap space, which, of course, if you, if you, have, if you have a $40 million quarterback come in, that may not be a very good thing, of course. But, um, anyway, I, I, you know, I, I, I want for them to have as much, as much flexibility financially as they can have. I think that's only going to help them because there are spots on this team that need to be helped by veterans and players who can come in and make an immediate difference. Uh, maybe they maybe they don't get Turner in the first round from Alabama as the pass rush specialist. Maybe they get someone else. Maybe they have someone else come in and and really take over that that spot. Um, and and the more money they can have, the better, right? I mean, it's just no doubt about that. And I'm 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 anxious to see what they're going to do. I really am. This is this is the chance for Terry Fontenot to do his thing. Now we assume, which is always nerve-wracking and scary to do because you know what you can do and you assume, but we assume that this is going to be truly the first time that Terry Fontenot can independently make the decision without having to deal with with Rich McKay. And now, I don't think Arthur Smith has given anybody the final decision. Somebody's got to make the final choice. Uh, if I'm Terry Fontenot, I would want to know, even with a new head coach, Raheem Morris, all right, well, who's going to, who has the final say, Arthur? Do I have the final say, or does Raheem have the final say? I think it's going to be Terry Fontenot. I'm hoping it is, because it's time for us to see what Terry Fontenot can do as a general manager. They they both said today, look, this is a big deal, this quarterback situation. It's a big deal. And how, how many quarterbacks help define the careers of the people who take them. There's no question. I mean, that that's a huge part of every juror manager's story in the NFL of, well, who do you take as a quarterback? If you take a clunker, when you have the opportunity to have a high draft pick or to acquire a player that you need of a certain caliber, you're in trouble. I mean, Thomas Dimitrov was carried for how long on the Atlanta Falcons' front office and it's the GM because of Matt Ryan, and he should have. I'm not really knocking it. I mean, I wish he would have gone a little bit before he did when Dan Quinn was fired back in whatever year it was, 2020. But I I didn't care as much about Thomas Dimitrov because he earned that right with what he did by drafting Matt Ryan. And then here comes Fontenot and Arthur Smith in, and they have Desmond Ritter. So that's a that was the problem. There's no question about that. And and that's why Terry Fontenot now is the general manager in, in what looks like a less convoluted situation is under the gun to show some things off and to do the right thing for this team. And it's not, I mean, I, I, I don't know how many times I need to tell you it's hard for me to decide. I don't know. I don't know what they should do. I, I, I hope whenever they do what they're going to do with that quarterback situation, I'll say, well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go with that. I'm holding my breath a little bit because I'm worried that they're going to give up a ton of draft picks if they move up and get a Jaden Daniels or someone who they may fall in love with this week at the Combine. 
that worries me a little bit because I don't think this team needs to give up a whole lot of draft picks or day one draft picks or day two draft picks for that matter because there are still significant needs. But I also am not too keen on giving a 36-year-old quarterback who's coming off an Achilles injury $40 million. By the way, the Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell said today that he believes that Kirk Cousins does want to go back to Minnesota to play with the Vikings. So, And maybe he does, and that takes that off the Falcons' plate. We just don't know. But um, we do know that this is the first step. This is a big week. This is a, a big deal where someone could really go out there and knock Terry Fontenot and, and Raheem Morris and Zach Robinson, for that matter. I, I would assume he's going to be there too, Zach Robinson, the offensive coordinator. I would hope he would want to be there, and I would hope they would want him to be there. He's the new offensive coordinator, so I would hope that he's there to evaluate and interview these quarterbacks. They only they don't they don't only go out there and perform, but this is the first step of their process of doing interviews with teams that may be interested in them. So for all we know, one of those candidates, or all three for that matter, may turn the Falcons off. And again, the top three aren't even playing out there. We're going to have to see uh, private workout, or not, not that we're going to see, but we're going to have to hear about the private workouts and also the, the, the team days that they have, pro days they have for all the college teams. We're going to have to know about that at some point and hear how they are and how how the, the quarterbacks participated and how they perform. I'm not a big shock. I don't think it's a big shock that those top three aren't going to appear at the combine. It's disappointing because I wanted to see them compared to the others who will be there, like Michael Penix and Bo Nix and, and others, that J.J. Uh, McCarthy is going to be there, right? So we can see him as well. But it is it is disappointing the other three aren't going to be there because of how they look at against each other. And we won't be able to see that. So anyway, the the fallout continues from the hiring of Kirby Smart uh, to bring in two new coaches to replace Brian McClendon. Of course, James Coley, the pick there, wide receiver coach from South Carolina, sort of. Josh Crawford, the running back coach from Georgia Tech. And I, I was very pleased yesterday when several coaches reached out to me, high school coaches reached out to me and said, this is a, so these are two really good hires here. And the recruiting, of course, is such a big part of the situation now with Kirby Smart always has been. But to have that kind of of uh, of reaction from coaches who they are going to be dealing with on a regular basis was very positive. So very encouraged by that. And, and you know, now Georgia's just got to get ready for spring practice, which will be in a couple of weeks. And, uh should be fun. There's a lot to, to look at. A lot of new coaches, of course. So they have to kind of, so those players have to get used to that. They'll have to kind of see how that goes. And uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. It's, it's good coaches, good recruiters on this staff as well, which, you know, it's a Kirby Smart staff. You'd be shocked if it wasn't, right? All right. We're going to take a break, come back and talk a little basketball. Georgia in action tonight. So are the Hawks. We'll take a break. Be back right after this. Twenty minutes for the top of the hour. We appreciate you being with us. Tony on Twitter reports via the Falcon Holic website. The Falcons will have thirty-seven million plus the thirteen million that the NFL added, according to the Falcon Holic. So, as I speculated, that's about fifty million dollars 
That's good. That's a lot of money. That's pretty good. And I think there are going to be more cap casualties. I think there'll be some additional ones that could uh, allow for more more moves. I don't think they're going to keep Taylor Heineke. So that could be a, another certain amount of money. So, yeah, that's I appreciate that, Tony. I, I thought it was around 50, and according to the Falconholic, it is. So there you go. Today, Deadspin had an article that uh, talked about Trey Young and the Hawks. Might be time for Trey Young to get shoved out of the Hawks' nest. Atlanta's star may have played his last game for the franchise. He was supposed to lead to glory. Deadspin.com, by the way. A very interesting line in here I wanted to read. Young has been the DeMarcus Cousins of Steph Curry's. His counting stats in game will make you marvel, but there's something missing, whether it's a basketball IQ deficit, coasting on ability, or an affection for bad shots, or both. Years from now, Trey Young will be on Cam Newton's podcast sharing behind-the-scenes anecdotes about what led to Atlanta, Atlanta's demise, which blames everyone but himself. Young was in the midst of another slump when he suffered his most recent injury setback. Not many shooters are as streaky as Young. As a distributor, his influence is undeniable. However, the variance in Young's shooting is as wide as the gap between Jordan Poole and Seth Curry. Steph Curry. Few shooters are as dangerous from the logo range as Young, aside from Curry and Damon Lillard. Young, however, is his own offensive system. The Hawks are thriving on that end as a top-10 offense, but he has hampered Atlanta in the postseason by clinging to his role as a volume-shooting, heliocentric playmaker when he should be optimized more as an off-ball shooter racing around screens as often as he navigates pick-and-rolls. Unfortunately, Young only knows how to play one way, and Atlanta's ball movement has suffered with him on the floor. Now, again, I say that this little time period of Trey Young not being able to play for Atlanta is going to be really, really interesting. Jante Murray gets to play more of the point guard. And we we see with Trey, Trey gone for a month, all right, what does this look like, all this team look like without him? Is it deficient? Is it worse than it was before? Is it better than he was before? I mean, they play one game since he left, and they're one and zero. They're twenty five and thirty two overall, seven games under five hundred in the Eastern Conference, tenth place. But again, I ask, what happens if in this stretch of games he shows Dejounte Murray that he's the better situation than Trey Young with his offense? Don't you have to turn around and pedal Trey? I mean, I've kind of fallen in love with my scenario about San Antonio. San Antonio has two first-round picks that right now are in the lottery. And what if, with Atlanta also being right now in the mock draft lottery, what if Atlanta got both of those draft picks from San Antonio? They've got right now, uh, leading into the lottery, the third and seventh pick. The Hawks are at 10. And to let you know who some of those players that could be available in the mock draft I just pulled up by tankathon.com, Nikola Topic could be the third pick. He's a point guard, 6'6", 201. He's an international player. 
The seventh pick is Matas Buzilis, 6'11", small forward from the G League, who's averaging 16.1 points per game. And then at 10, they have the Hawks taking a very interesting player, Reed Shepard, a guard from Kentucky, 6'3", 187, almost 20 years old, averaging 11.7 points per game. Now, I don't know if teams like to have three top ten, top ten draft picks, but if the Hawks are going to trade Trey Young, they're going to have, I think, flexibility moving forward to add some talent. But also, if you have young players on your roster, like Kobe Budkin, the kid who was the number 15th overall last year, and if they added a couple of these guys right here, I mean, if they kept DeJounte Murray and traded Trey Young instead, they're going to get back the picks they gave for Murray, which they couldn't do if they traded Murray. But you have to ask the question, is it better for Atlanta to not have Trey Young? And some of you out there might be saying, dude, you're crazy. It Trey Young's a superstar. And then I would say back to you, hey, dude, you're crazy. The Hawks aren't winning. Great players are only great when they win. If they score about a there, – there were a couple of players when I was growing up that were great players. They scored a high amount of points. They never won. I'm talking about Adrian Dantley of Utah, Alex English of Dallas. They were, they were great players. They didn't win. That wasn't necessarily their fault, but it's like, well <laughs> – how long do you keep that type of player if you're not winning? You just go ahead and say, well, go help someone else. You're not helping us. You're not doing the job for us. I mean, and and I, I, I'm not blaming everything that's happened on Trey. And I know that me saying let's trade Trey is is sounding like that. But I, I do not think that, well, let me say this. I think the Hawks have got to decide who they want to be their point guard, number one. Do they want Trey Young to be their point guard, or do they want DeJounte Murray to be their point guard? DeJounte Murray comes out and plays his butt off the next month while Trey's out. You can't tell me they're not going to think, well, maybe we just need to go with DeJounte Murray. I would think about it. I would think, well, let, and that's why I'm talking about it, because <laughs> I am thinking about it. What if Murray is just as good or better than Trey and instead, you trade Trey to get a lot of talent on this team, like three, like two first-round draft picks and one of those young players for, for San Antonio. I mean, you could bring back a haul from San Antonio, a lot of talent. And with them having two top ten picks potentially in the draft, who knows? It may be number one for all we know. They're third and seventh right now. And in, in the standings, maybe they win the first overall pick. Well, that'd be pretty cool. I, I mean, this mock draft hat here has Alexandra Saar, a 7'1", 217-pounder from France, as the number one pick of the draft. I've never heard of him until I just mentioned his name right there to you. Have no freaking clue. Last year, we knew Wimbam Yama was going to go number one a year before the draft. This year, we don't know who's going to go number one. But it doesn't matter if they're young, young good players. I mean, it, you got to hope you can hit on one of them. You got two, you got to hit on one of them. Maybe you hit both of them. You know, maybe you hit both of them. But we'll see tonight. We'll see tonight. And, and hey, it's going to be kind of interesting tonight because 
John Collins is coming in for Utah. Utah is 27 and 31. They're 11th in the Western Conference. John Collins is played in 54 games, 52 starts, 14.4 points, 8.4 rebounds per game for John Collins. And that is an uptick on what he did last year for Atlanta when he had 13.1 points per game and 6.5 rebounds. So, and I wish John Collins nothing but the best. I liked him. He was there for six years. He was the first piece of Travis Link's rebuild, to be honest with you. But I, I like him, and I'm anxious to see him tonight. But, yeah, that's um, – I'm telling you, we're going to have to watch this Trey Young situation. Or maybe maybe I should say we're going to have to watch the DeJounte Murray situation. We have to see, because here's the thing. I'm tired of this team losing. I'm sick of it. It just it pisses me off. Because I feel like when they, when they lose, I feel like I'm the only one that gives a flip. Well, me and Jason Walker. Because I know that you, my listener, and this is not being a very smart host. I know that you, my listeners, are even more so turned off when they are losing. That when I start talking about it, you don't care as much. And I don't blame you. And that's pretty stupid on my part to keep on talking about them. But they're our state NBA team. That's what I talk about. And I'm a big fan. I mean, I'm going to watch the game tonight. As dumb as it may sound, I'm going to watch them tonight. I've watched almost every game this year. And they're just not a very good team. They can play well. They can play well. But as far as is this a good team or not? Well, no, you can't be seven games under 500 after 50-something games and be looked at as a good team. And I know Jason Walker is going to say our Hawks guru. Well, they had a bad bench. They didn't spend money. Tony Rester sucks. Nick Rester sucks. All the owners are stupid. I get it. Oh, I I know they have not done a good job of preparing this roster for a winning season. But you can't tell me that they're this bad where they sh- shouldn't be better than twenty five and thirty two. That's bad, man. And I and I and I can't believe that whether it's Nate McMillan or Quinn Snyder. This daggum team, since the Eastern Conference Finals against Milwaukee, is under 500. You know how bad that is for that kind of of <laughs> you're, you 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 took the biggest leap in your franchise's history with a supposed star player, and then you go and can't play over 500 for the next three years. What do we talk about? The falconing it up? How about hawking it up? How about that's the Hawks thing to do right there? You get as far as the Eastern Conference Finals. Who knows what would have happened if Trey Young hadn't stepped on the official? We don't know. Maybe nothing. Maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but it certainly would have been nice to find out because Giannis certainly wasn't 100% in that series. And and so, anyway, I'm tired of losing. I want to, I want to win. I want the Hawks to win. I want... I want to feel like we did a couple of years ago when the Hawks were playing so well, and it was so much fun to watch. We had the games here. We, heck, we. I think one night we even put the Hawks on over the Braves because it was like, wow, this is a, kind of a big deal here. And and since then they've been nothing. They've been, you know, first season was a couple of games over five hundred. Last year was at five hundred forty one and forty one, and now they're seven games under. So there's not a whole lot of hope for this team right now. What's going to give this team hope? To surround Trey Young with more talent or to surround DeJounte Murray with a lot more talent? 
That's a good question. I need to pose that to Jason Walker. It's a really good question. They don't give these shows to dummies, you know. But but really, how, what, because there are a lot of people. I talked one over the weekend. There are a lot of people who say out loud, I don't think the Hawks will do squat with Trey Young. And for even that to be said, that's bad. That's really bad. I don't, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I just think it's bad that that's being said. Georgia basketball trying to come back off their embarrassing 21-point loss to Auburn on Saturday. will be playing tonight at LSU. The LSU Tigers are 14-13 and 13 on the year, a game worse than, than Georgia, but they are a game better in the conference. LSU is 6-8. and eight, Georgia is 5-9. and nine. That'll be tonight at 7 o'clock. Hear that game on the Superstations in all but Brunswick. Then Georgia, of course, will host Texas A&M on Saturday at 7 o'clock as well. After the game tonight, of course, you can hear the Hawks game with with Utah and Brunswick. You will get the Hawks in Utah for the entirety. Georgia Tucker off until Saturday. They'll play FSU at home. Georgia baseball is playing this afternoon. And uh, they are playing Presbyterian, Georgia Tech playing Georgia State, and Georgia Southern is at Jacksonville. That's tomorrow. Mercer is hosting Florida A&M both today and tomorrow at 6 o'clock. They're at Claude Smith Field, Ortho Georgia Park, so we look forward to that as far as a little baseball is concerned. So there you go, baseball and college basketball and the Hawks uh, – John Collins. Johnny Collins. You think we're going to hear Steve Holman calling Johnny Collins? I love Steve Holman, and he's the best announcer in the world. And when he loves him a player, he gives him a little nickname like Johnny Collins. And he likes John Collins a great deal, as he should. John's a nice young man, and he did well for the Hawks for six years. And I think it was stupid that they traded him for nothing, which is what they did. They traded him for nothing. Like, why are you just going to give him away? Why would you sign him if you're going to give him away? But that's the Hawks for you. That's just kind of the way it is. But think about that. If the Hawks keep on winning here, they win a night over Utah. Utah's a sub-500 team, but still, they keep on playing well. Maybe that's what they should do. Trade Trey Young and keep DeJounte Murray and surround him with talent instead of Trey Young. Makes you wonder a little bit, doesn't it? Hawks basketball tonight. Don't forget about that against Utah. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.